Hey now, welcome to America's leading Formula One podcast. This is the dirty side of the track. I'm Brian Saperstein, and that is Rob Vale. Rob, I'm going to turn it to you to tell us what's happening today. Uh, thanks, Brian. Well, today we are going to be doing a slightly bigger social and news roundup, being as we didn't do any last week because we were so ridiculously excited to have Paul back on the show. And uh, judging by the way the numbers have gone this past week, I think a lot of people enjoyed listening to it because it's been mental. Uh, it's good to see our graph is going up. So thank you, everybody out there for listening. And it's not just the Paul episode. It looks like people are going and then jumping on board and downloading the older ones, which is great. Um we're not professional podcasters, so here's a time for a point where we're just human, and I'm going to put my hand up for a little mistake last week. There may have been a small segment left in the podcast where Paul's headphones ran out of juice, and me and Brian were just shooting the breeze while Paul went and sorted things out. Um, I've since been online and rectified that, but, you know, it's uh, we're always, we'll always take one on the chin at the dirty side if we've uh, messed one up. So <laughs> it's... I didn't know I had to micromanage Rob because he'd said, <laughs> oh, I'll fix that, and then uh, and then... It didn't, but that's all right. I was just so keen to hit publish, you know, because it was such a good, uh, it was such a good time. Um, also, the hundred seconds of DRS is going down pretty well on YouTube. So if you have haven't checked that out, get over there. And uh, at, here at the Dirty Side, we're actually wanting to throw that open to kind of anyone. So if you would like to feature on the Dirty Side's hundred seconds of DRS, uh, please reach out to us at dirtysideofthetrack at gmail.com. or you can hit us up on Twitter, uh, Instagram. Uh, wherever you want, but we're we're looking forward to maybe getting some of the dirty siders on to do some uh, hundred seconds of DRS with you guys as well. Yeah, please, if you're interested, let us know. Um, we'd love to have you on and kind of get your thoughts on some things F1 and some things not, but uh, very well received so far. And we would like to close from here on, basically every episode where we don't have a guest, close with a segment with a dirty cider. Uh, on on hundred seconds of DRS. So thank you uh, for that. We actually one other note. Um, the great, and that is his new title, the great Paul Harris from last week, went and did a little research, sort of a man on the street. Uh, we sent him out into the wild and said, Paul, could you, you know, ask some people who know about the diffuser? And, and he came back to us with this. Hey, guys. So um, I've done a little bit of research. Um, I still can't find anything that really explains it. So this is from one of our guys um, at work who knows what he's talking about, I can assure you. Word for word, <clears throat> basically, more volume to a point is better on a diffuser as it allows more mass flow through to the front of the floor. The more mass flow, the lower the pressure you can generate and hence more downforce. When they changed the rules in 2009, they tried to limit the volume of the diffuser and hence reduce downforce. But Braun found a loophole well, a few teams did, where you could cut a section into the diffuser and put a secondary part on top. So you now have two joined diffusers that act somewhat like one big one. Well, if that doesn't clear it all up, then we'll <laughs> never know. Good luck. I like how he ends with good luck. Um, so, Rob, I got to say, you're a real mass flow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your head looks like you've had an extra section cut out the top of it. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I'm any further forward. I might be one step backwards from where I was from last week's episode. But uh, thanks a lot to Paul for kind of being our uh, our roving reporter there and sending in his uh, his findings. But anyway, um, so what's been going on since uh, last the last two weeks, really? There's been quite a lot of activity as we start heading towards the new season, which is 
like ridiculously exciting, but we've really, it's all the car reveals are coming out now. And I'm going to say, see what you think here, Brian. I'm going to say there's been three car reveals. Uh, we've had four cars shown to us, but I think we've only had three reveals. So we've had. Uh, I'll, I'll, <laughs> let you, I'll let you argue that point. I, I, please explain. And then I will tell so, you why one of them is better than the rest. Okay. So Haas have come out and they did a digital reveal. So there wasn't kind of the um, fireworks and party, but they just revealed their car. A digital um, reveal? That means they showed their fingers? Yes, apparently so. They've sent out uh, pictures of their car and there's a bit of debate as to how Photoshop they are as to you know, have they removed some key pieces. Um, I don't think this is going to be going back to the six wheelers, but uh, I'm, we don't really know what they might have removed. Then Red Bull came out, and this is the one that I'm going to debate. And even Christian Horner has almost admitted it as well, that what we saw come out from Red Bull looked like the FIA concept car with the Red Bull livery on it. So not really sure we've seen uh, the Red Bull 2022 car yet. We've seen a car from them, but just maybe not the car that will be on the track. Um, Aston Martin came out with theirs, uh, the, kind of the the nice green uh, color and oh boy oh yeah oh yeah. the aston martin one was pure s e x the birds <laughs> and the bees that did it boy oh boy 14 out of 10 do recommend and then oh yeah but then the mclaren came out and i gotta say that's a nice looking car as well um although i did like the um I did like the tweet that you retweeted, Brian, from the guy that said that he was the uh, insider and uh, <laughs> led everybody a merry dance about he was going to put the Aston and the McLaren side by side and say, for the untrained eye, I'm going to walk you through why these two car designs are different. And it was about three tweets long, I think, of detail before he got to the fact that he pulls the punchline of the Aston's green and the McLaren's orange. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good, good reminder to follow us on F1 Dirty Side at Twitter and interact. We pay attention. Uh, yes, we do. And then, you know, I would say, so the car reveals was fun. It's fun to watch them come out. Um, we got more to go. We'll obviously cover them as we go. Um, you know, we saw a note from Lewis Hamilton. Uh, I'm back, back from the wild. Uh, he, but we'd seen him in LA on other people's Instagrams. Uh, but it is exciting to have Lewis kind of back on social. Uh, for me, one social event that was fun this week was the Ferrari uh, very recently, the Ferrari C-squared challenge. So Carlos and Charles, they put them in simulators driving FXXKs. So I don't know why they didn't have them in a Formula One car, but they had them in FXXKs at Monza. And Charles, who I adore, got a little jab in at Carlos, who I also adore. And he said, Monza brings back good memories from 2019. Oh, man, that's right. You have a win. And it was at 29, your first win 2019 in front of the Tifosi. And then it was a year later, if I'm doing my math right, at Monza as well, when Carlos was right behind Pierre, when Pierre got his maiden win, and Carlos couldn't catch him in the McLaren. So a little bit of a jab. I loved it. I don't know if people read it that way, but I did. I, I, I had to pause and rewind. But they did talk a lot about the new cars. So I recognized the dirty side did the preeminent explainer of the 2022 cars. And you should go back to the podcast where we talk about it, if you like, or our YouTube segments that cut them up. But the C-squared Ferrari challenge is fun. They did a lot of focus on the cars being heavier. And I don't know if we hit that. And I don't know if I appreciated how much so, but the cars next year will be heavier than last year. And both drivers at Ferrari kind of said, hey, we actually anticipate possibly being slower than last year, not just because of the weight, but because last year's car had had six or seven years of development time. This yeah. is this is new and heavier. So I guess we'll find out, probably not necessarily in testing, but at the first race when we can compare year over year, or at least year over prior COVID year, best lap times for tracks they weren't at during COVID. It'll be fun to see what the 2022 car really does. And they were both 
very excited about the Miami GP, as are we. So just a good C-squared Ferrari note to start the start the year off. Yeah, then we had um, a few kind of various different announcements of deals being signed, both drivers and tracks. So Lando's uh, inked his deal until 2025, which I think is... I think, you know, if that car does start delivering some performance, then that's a smart move from him. Kind of take the distractions away from um, other things and just, you know, head down and put some good performances in at McLaren. And um, I think that's probably smart from both sides. And then from racetrack perspective, um, Singapore announced a seven-year deal and Bahrain uh, locked in until 2036, which for me was a (laughs) ridiculously long uh, deal, but... I guess there's some money flying around on that one. Uh, apparently. By then, we'll have uh, long since retired from our full-time jobs of running the Dirty Side of the Track podcast. So. I mean, I mean, Dirty Side by then, 2036. We, I mean, do you think we will be a constructor by then and take you we know, should the, be. the Dirty Side team? I would expect. I mean, we're making <laughs> hats, T-shirts, and stickers at this point. Why not cars? Exactly. So if that's a long way out. So definitely. <laughs> uh, we'll be in Bahrain <laughs> running our car, bro. <laughs> <laughs> running our car literally running it i'll be pushing it you'll be in it we'll see how far uh, we can go okay and then, <laughs> back getting back on track um we've seen the first kind of news coming around of one kind of piece that's lurking out there for the new season is this sprint uh, the sprint format it was successfully um received last year though i think there were three of them and they proposed there were going to be six of them this year um but as with everything in f1 they need to get i think it's either it's eight out of the 10 teams need to sign to agree these kind of changes and there was pushback the the extra sprint races uh, might lead to more damage on cars etc because more uh, more exposure to racing so the the budget cap should go up i didn't read the detail at first brian and when i saw that headline and they were wrangling over kind of the amount of money they had to spend, I instantly went to the smaller teams because they haven't got the money to play with as much as the big boys. So I thought it was one of the smaller teams not pushing back. It was only when I saw this compromise that's being pushed out, I think the FIA have come back and said, we'll go with three sprints, but we'll keep the budget as it was. You're not having more budget to go to six. It was actually Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull. Oh, the uh, poorest (laughs) of the poor. The poorest of the poor. And a lot of the cynics out there are saying they just want to find a reason to be able to increase the budget cap so they can spend their money on other things. They don't need it because of this sprint thing, but it's a convenient thing to be able to say, well, we're going to like drive our cars into walls in sprint races. So we need another, they want another 5 million to go on the budget cap as a result of three extra sprint races. So I don't think we're going to get six sprint races this year. Don't see it happening, but maybe they're going to compromise and keep the, at least the three that were there last year. Cause I, we discussed this on a previous one. We went over the, the format of the race weekend. I think you and I both enjoyed the, mm-hmm. the sprint format. So it'd be good. You know, to see in a, it it, I love, I'm happy it's staying. And in a similar note, uh, Jeff Bezos is now on income support uh, or at least requesting it because why not? Why would Mercedes Red Bull and Ferrari say we need to raise the cap for this? I mean, you're right. It's hundred percent not because of the sprint. It's, I mean, but if you're not playing the game, you're not playing to win. So good for them. Kind of leaving the news and leaving social. Um, You know, as we said, we do love to interact with listeners. And uh, one of our listeners, one of our bigger, we have at least a couple very large Detroit fans. And one of them, Dela, sent a note and said, what is unique to F1? I'm kind of new to the thing. And he explained that listening to our podcast has turned him on to Formula One. And he started watching Netflix drive to survive to kind of get up to speed even more and sent a note. And effectively um, his last question, uh, his question I'll get to last, but he wanted to know what's unique. So Dela, let's talk about it. Couple things that jump out and there's a lot, right? That make F1 unique, but a couple things just to highlight. First, 
um, the cars generate so much downforce. And we've talked about this a little bit, but there are studies and even formula1.com who's not known for making stuff up have said that they, in theory, cars could drive upside down. If you were in a tunnel, you could at speed, you could actually start turning and drive on the roof. Now, again, in theory, in practice, what would happen with the fluids? Well, you know, if the gas is on the wrong side, would it get into the engine? What about brakes and other things? There's a lot of real problems, but cars generate over three times their weight alone in downforce. So it would stick to the roof of a tunnel. And at that point, would it be up force? I don't, I, I think so, right? Yeah, um, yeah, we go with upforce, yeah. The very thing they're trying to stop, cars taking flight, um, would be happening. So it would be kind of neat to watch. I think the only constructor who would ever try this uh, would be Red Bull, because they always have fun with their cars and their their drivers. I would love to see Max Verstappen on the roof of the Holland Tunnel. So uh, so we're not having maybe six sprint races, but there may now be um, a curved tunnel added to Monaco to increase overtaking opportunity by overtaking on the ceiling. Done. I think you get an extra <laughs> point. It's like fastest lap and upside down. Um, and then, you know, there were a couple stats I'd want to highlight that I think are pretty important. So... Sap stats. Okay. So uh, whoa, 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 whoa. You gotta work yeah, on your time in there, Brian. I mean, it's it's at the end. It's dun 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 sap stats on the uh, on the end of the beat, not two beats before the end. Come I on. I was, try- I was trying to hurry it up. And so <laughs> one of my favorites is something that may make sense, but let me explain why I'm highlighting it. Formula One cars can go from zero to hundred miles per hour back to zero in under four seconds. You may say yeah, a lot of cars have acceleration. A lot of street cars have acceleration to get you know, to a hundred in under four seconds, um, maybe expensive streetcars, but streetcars nonetheless, but it's the, the brakes, the brakes are why I'm highlighting this F1 brakes are notoriously brutal, just amazingly brutal. You see them catch fire. When people come to the pits, they, they are unbelievably in- intense. And so between the braking and the lateral G's that we've also talked about when you, you take turns, F1 drivers are basically being pummeled throughout the entire race. So A, the cars can go and stop like no one's business. They can turn like they're on rails. Pit stops, um, you know, when when people know they need to take a pit, sometimes they don't know they need to pit. So sometimes you're not sure whether you're pitting or not, but um, it, two seconds to change all four tires. Two seconds. And if you want to change the wing a little, adjust it a little for more or less aerodynamics, maybe an extra half a second. It is so crazy and so choreographed, and it is different than any other pit stop in any other sport. And the yeah, engines. I, I would say, I would oh, say sorry. that if you no, you're, you're okay, Brian. You're if you've never seen um, one of the uh, views from above, quite often Ferrari have got a number of them out there on YouTube, despite the fact they're probably not even one of the fastest ones in the pit lane, but you can probably find a Red Bull video. But it's the ones from above in the slow-mo where you can kind of watch the car come in and then about, I don't know, I'm going to get this number wrong and someone's going to hit me for it, but eight people, I think, uh, maybe more, are all moving in unison, doing their one thing. Their one movement takes two seconds-ish. But because they're all doing it exactly the same time, it, oh, it's glorious. It just it just hurts my brain. I've been watching Formula One for so many years, and I still find I still find pit stops just mental. And they got spoofed to some degree um, in one of the greatest animated films ever is uh, uh, Disney's car, Pixar's car, Cars, <laughs> um, and little um, Luigi and Guido. When Guido goes at the end and does the <laughs> stop, that's not even people go. Oh, yeah, you know, it's it's 
it's just paying tribute to what is one of the most amazing uh, sights in Formula One, I think. It really is. When someone's in the pits for three seconds, it feels like an eternity because you know it should be two. So when they add that extra 50%, you may say it's a second. That's a big deal. And, and you know, you, the announcers, I love it. Oh, no, he was stationary for three seconds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's, uh, it reminds me of the old Seinfeld joke, um, you know, for a sprint, a 100-meter dash. Uh, greatest in the world? Never heard of him. Like the difference is a millisecond. <laughs> and that's what it is on pit stops. So yeah. I would just say, uh, De La, that you know, the pit stops are unique. The engines last about five races at most. And there's a limit on the number of engines a constructor can use. And at the end of last year, 2021, we saw a lot of constructors taking engine penalties to put a new engine in over their allotment. So it'll be fascinating to see adding an extra race, what will that do to the engine allotment? What will that do to what they can use? And my last note before we hit the, the highlight uh, here is back to the point on the downforce and the Gs and the braking and the turning, the lateral Gs as they go through corners. Drivers can lose about eight pounds a race in sweat and water weight. And they do have, uh, I don't know if people know this, but they actually have a drinking system in the car. And it it's an opportunity for them to stay slightly hydrated, unless, of course, you will not have the drink. So famously, Kimmy didn't have it hooked up one race. Um, but so you still lose, even with that, eight pounds in a race, sweat, water weight, as they absorb that punishment. And the thing that I did not appreciate that I find so fascinating is, A, they weigh every driver after the race to see how much weight they lost. Mandatory weigh-in. B, they go to a cool down room uh, for the people who will be on the podium. Everyone else goes back to their rooms and they, they actually require them to rest and to get something to drink, to cool off. And then they've lightened the trophies in formula one because the drivers are so fatigued after an hour and 45 minutes of that treatment punishment that the trophies have been lightened so they can raise them up. There was a race last season. I don't remember which one. It was in the second half of the year where, where Lewis was on the podium and it looked like he was going to topple over. Like he was leaning on the wall at times. And, and I was in my basement yelling, someone help that man. And uh, so <laughs> it's, one of, my, it's yeah. one of my biggest frustrations with the sport, Brian, is when the people who don't watch it enough. Um, and uh, yeah, this is even going to get uh, pointed at my wife as well, where when you see them kind of coming out the car after they've got their heads dripping in sweat and, it, and you get that phrase, well, what have they done? They've just sat there and driven the car on the track for an hour and 45. And it's like there's this this <laughs> this view that they haven't really exerted themselves. They don't need to be fit. What do drivers need to be fit for? <laughs> it's, for, for all the reasons you just pointed out, Brian, it's uh, it's, it's amazing. I think they've, they've likened the G's and, and those kind of things to the amount of force that like fighter pilots go through. Now that, that takes it even even probably even further. I don't know the comparison between fighter pilots and uh, Formula One, but the G's on people's uh, body and just having to be able to try to keep your neck straight it's crazy what these guys do. I don't know the comparison either, but I'd be willing to bet the girlfriends of the F1 drivers are uh, hotter than the formula than the fighter pilots' girlfriends. I'm just saying. I mean, the fighter pilots' girlfriends should be great, but I'm just you know, are you in Monaco with a million dollars a day? No. So here we go. Last thing. This is the craziest one, and I can't. And Rob, I'd love your thoughts. I can't come up with an analog for this. So drivers changing teams during the season with time left in the season. And again, the listener pointed out that this is, there's nothing like that. Like in the NFL, Aaron Rodgers may have a problem with his contract or may not like the team that the Packers put around him. But with five games left, he doesn't say, you know what? I'm playing for the Bears next year. 
And the Bears then don't go fire their quarterback because they know Aaron Rodgers is coming in. And the dominoes don't fall with with a part of the season left. LeBron today struggling with the Lakers and Russell Westbrook, who can't hit the side of a backboard. LeBron doesn't say, you know what? I'm going back to Cleveland the next year. I'll finish the season, but I'm not here anymore. No one does that. And even like, so you think about teams and then even individual sports where there isn't a team to play for. I mean, you just don't hear people say, I'm going to another event at the end of the year and I'll be never come back here. Like what? It's so different. And I know you, I can't remember if you had an analogy or not, but to me, it's, it is by far the weirdest thing to have mid-season driver announcements of changes for the following year. No, I mean, it's, it's kind of crept in a little bit to, um, as Paul not correctly pronounced it last week, football uh, <laughs> back, in, uh, back in England, that a, a player now, there was a uh, it was called, um, contract disputes years ago where when you're coming up to the end of your contract and you're not going to sign another one, you should be free agent to do what you want to do at the end of the contract. Um, they started introducing a rule where you can start negotiating that with the next club uh, in the January before the summer. So you kind of see it a little bit, but it's, it's still weird. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have kind of the world's best hottest striker in the world um, going, yeah, I'm going to play for that team next year. Because no. no one would believe that you're putting your heart into it for the rest right. of this current season. I'm not, I don't want to get injured now because I've got this other gig that I'm going to. And it, I always find that strange. What's the dynamic like inside the garage where they've announced that, yeah, uh, screw you guys. Uh, I'm going to this other team next year because they're better. Or the, <laughs> or the team announces the team we're announces. replacing you. And like Sebastian Vettel, I mean, like... Well, you know, it is just a curiosity to me. And we didn't have a lot of it in 2021, but 2020 was uh, just full of driver changes. So uh, it is weird and funny and unique. And it's, you know what, it's it's like the uh, hot stove for baseball or, or football. And to me, it's uh, the proper American football, NFL football, not your uh, kick the ball around with my uh, feet don't use my hands kind of thing so the, the sport that's named after using the foot to kick the ball as if it's supposed to be football uh, anyway don't, let's not don't, go tr- don't try to get logical on me I, i'm not going to get logical because i know which side of the pond i live on so um okay so this week we're going to um our, our main body of our content is actually going to come from listener input which is fantastic we've been getting a few questions um about various aspects of the sport but just before we quickly move over there just occurred to me today, Brian, that I'm never going to, well, hasn't just occurred to me that I'm never going to be a Formula One driver, but I'm never ever going to be experienced <laughs> anything that these guys talk about. We try and talk about the G's and all this kind of stuff, and we don't know any of that kind of crap, right? However, today it hit me. This morning I had to get up at uh, 5.30 a.m. to drive my daughter down to a swim meet, which is about an hour away down on the coast. And as we got out um, uh, onto the driveway, uh, an inch and a half of wet snow had fallen overnight. So it, it was fun. And I beat the, the gritters out, so the plows and the gritters hadn't been out. So I'm, I'm heading down the highway. I'm kind of keeping it steady at about 50. The speed limit over here is 65. I'm doing about 50 because the highway is white with like just two tire tracks that I'm following, hoping that is one of the lanes that I'm supposed to be in. <laughs> um, then, I find, then I come up against a car that's doing like 20 because they're obviously scared to death to be out there. So I'm going to have to overtake. So I had to move over onto the lane of the highway that was completely white. So I'm essentially going to call that essentially the dirty side of the highway, right? It must be the yeah. equivalent of, bar- of marbles. I got out onto that stuff. The car started twitching. The anti-brake system started kicking in. My heart went to a million beats and I just had to keep it in until I could get past that car and pull back in again. So I've kind of been on the dirty side of the track this morning. (laughs) And I can't imagine what it must be like if you're doing 200 miles an hour and you need to put a maneuver on somewhere where you're going out onto essentially the marbles, right? It's, um, oh my God, those guys just, just don't, 
I can't even imagine being able to put yourself in that amount of danger knowing that if you need to brake, there ain't no grip there. Well, I mean, and that it goes to also the new cars, right? 2022, they can follow closer. And so the same thing you knew before when you were following as close as you could, getting ready to overtake, you'd get to the corner, you didn't have the downforce to make the corner. So it was almost like you had to back off um, or you you couldn't make it. So agreed, yeah, you know, the 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 courage, um, the, the marbles, it might be said, to uh, go out on the marbles uh, is going to be fascinating to watch in 2022. Anyway, let's uh, uh, get back onto the content. So I'm going to hit the first one, Brian, before handing over to you. So we got a question on uh, our Facebook page, um, which I picked it out mainly because of the opening sentence, because it's just superb, which goes along the lines of, (laughs) as the number one F1 podcast in the US. That's correct. Um, I was wondering what your thoughts on the comparison with Formula E. I just watched it and felt it was Mario Kart on steroids, um, just needing banana skins to complete the game. Do you see F1 moving towards that more environmentally friendly style or staying mainstream with engines and noise? And that came in from Stu Dilly. Well, Stu, uh, I'll go first, Brian, then you can weigh in on this one. My view is Formula One won't go down that full on environment friendly to that degree, because in my view, that's why we've got these two um, uh, setups. We've got the Formula E and we've got the Formula One. Both of them are pushing technology to the max with the end view of A, we want to win stuff, but B, that technology makes its way down to road cars as well. So we've seen a lot of things come through from Formula One that have ended up on road cars. Formula E, I imagine, is going to have that kind of development pushing down to uh, the electric vehicles. Um, as Formula One, I think I, I, or I hope and pray in my lifetime, it stays being loud NG uh, combustion engines, even if they do start trying to push the technology of going more and more down kind of biofuels. And I don't care what type of fuel they can go as environmentally friendly fuel as like they like, as long as that fuel gets sparked by a spark plug and it explodes. <laughs> a bunch of tiny explosions must occur. Yeah. What do, what do you think, Brian? Well, I agree. Um, I love the fact that they, they went. So let me step back for 10 seconds. I prefer the sound of the car in our intro. Um, there's a reason those cars of the older eras, the larger V10s and V12s that had the high revving, um, you know, totally natural aspiration, uh, just sound fantastic. And even the cars that were crap still sounded great. I watched a video of one of Ferrari's worst entrants ever. I think it was on the race.com. Um, one of their worst entrants ever in formula one still sounded magnificent. Now, That said, I'm not going to complain about the current car's sound. I'll take it. Um, Just a little note. My friend has a BMW, and they actually pipe engine noise, fake engine noise, into the cabin. You cannot do that, BMW. That is is antithetical to what (laughs) ultimate driving machine, ultimate fake machine. You can stop. So I don't like fake noise. Give me the real stuff. It it, It should make noise. And so I believe the same as you. Formula One. We'll continue to have a bunch of tiny explosions occurring in the engine, whether that's with, you know, 10% ethanol as the season's going to have, or they up it to more, whether it's fully, you know, more battery power. I don't know, but we're never going to see, I don't think a full formula E type thing in formula one. And here's the reason why today, a pit stop in formula E is really a car swap because they pull in and get into a different car and pull back out because the battery has gone flat. And they can't wait to recharge it. Literally, range anxiety in the leading electronic motorsport, electric motorsports. They pull in and they go into a different car and pull back out. Like, what? 
So no, I love the question and I agree. It does feel like some banana peels and Mario Kart are close because it is just off the chain, funny and weird. And I love they're doing it because I do think it'll push, as you said, road cars forward in the technology they develop. But to me- Yeah, and, and the other reason separate. I love it, the other reason I love it is from a selfish point of view is that if Formula E hadn't become a thing and got stood up, then there would have been the pressure to turn Formula One into a more Formula E equivalent right it would have there would have been that pressure so i think actually there's room there's room for both and there's room for people who are fans of each and formula e can do its thing i'm not a convert yet i just can't i saw somebody there was a clip of somebody doing a they did uh, vettel doing his donut when he won and somebody in formula e doing a donut when they won and and it just it just sound it's, it's the sound it really is it's just the sound it just it just doesn't no seem it's not but there are limitations i watched a couple of races last season and I, they were like running out of energy and there were a whole set of conversations where they make it to the end because they'd had safety cars. And I'm like, oh, what? I mean, come on, man. Just Anyway. Anyway, anyway, yeah. time to so move on the, to the next part then, Brian. This week, um, the heart of what we want to talk about is history of the teams. And again, to reference a theme for this episode, CyberCynic on Twitter, at Cyber underscore Cynic, has sent a note and said, hey, you guys should think about doing a bit of the history of the teams. I really enjoyed the Jim Clark and Michael Schumacher pieces, kind of a little bit of a background. Well, Cyber Cynic, thank you so much for the idea. Uh, and here it is. So what we wanted to do is quickly kind of talk about the F1 teams and the current teams and their histories. Now, if you want to know about the current teams only and the drivers and the power, uh, power units, obviously check out our 2022 explainer that we did. Uh, both on YouTube and our podcast. But so let's talk about this. 1950 was the first year of official Formula One. So it's a good reference point to understand where it started. Rob, I'm going to turn it to you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the current Mercedes team and, and how they got here? Yeah, so um, actually just to build on what you just said as well, Brian, it was, um, we had a couple of people asking for this and it's just been really nice to start. We're at, you know, we're at episode 10 um, which I still find bizarre because I don't think you and I thought we might get as far as 10 when we started this, but we're at episode 10. We're starting to get some feedback now and it's nice to have people coming on and, and asking for these things. So this is kind of more of a, uh, new, people new to the sport. I uh, wanted to get a little bit more background at the teams. I'm going to hit it up first with Mercedes. And I, I had to do a bit of digging here because I'm learning some new stuff doing this show as well, which is always, uh, which is always good to learn some new things. They were actually a team for two years Right back in the 50s, 54 and 55, uh, Fangio won two drivers' titles with them. Um, and then they withdrew. There was a, I, I didn't, I wasn't aware of this and I've gone and looked at it and it's, it's horrible, but there was a huge crash at Le Mans in 55 where cars went everywhere, debris went into spectators, multiple fatalities, and Mercedes mm. just, just kind of just uh, uh, stepped away from the whole thing. They didn't come back into the 90s. It's like 40 years or so as kind of being away from the sport. And then they came back as, as an engine constructor, as a, sorry, an engine supplier. So that's all they were for during the 90s. And then if anyone listened to last week's episode, you would have heard uh, Paul mention how Braun GP in 2009, who only existed for one year, got bought by Mercedes. So that's really when they came onto the scene as a kind of a constructor in their own right again for the first time since those uh, back in the 50s. Well... If they were only around in the 50s for two years and won two titles, you could say they dominated while they were present. <laughs> Doesn't look like much has changed. They came back. Uh, it took them a couple of years to kind of uh, get things up to speed and how they wanted to. But since then, it's seven drivers titles in a row and eight constructors in a row. Uh, Max just snapped the trend last year on Lewis. But I mean, 
I'm not going to go into a huge amount of deal on Mercedes because they're so successful and it is in kind of almost recent time. I think a lot of people will know about that. So I'm not going to beat a dead horse on that one. Mercedes, recent-ish constructor and amazing. I mean, it is, I think, fascinating that they were in and then left and then kind of came back supplier and then constructor. Uh, and the success they've had, as you said, is is obvious, but it's kind of a common theme. And there are a couple of teams I'll talk about who were in F1, left, and then came back. The difference, I'd say, is recently Mercedes has had a, a big checkbook to put oh, yeah. behind the team. And so that's been different than some teams who left because of financial reasons. So just fascinating that uh, that they left and came back. Who, who were some of like the most well-known uh, drivers, Rob? So this one actually is quite a small list. Uh, when we come on to the others, I was amazed at some of the the kind of the driver rosters that there have been for the other teams. But this one, you, like I say, you've got Fangio in the 50s. And then really when I, I we've kind of said we're going to call out drivers of note. And that's either they won something or they're just probably people you've heard of. But so really when I looked at this, I'm saying it's Schumacher, Rosberg, Lewis and Bottas are really what they've had since they've returned. Uh, Schumacher came back on board, hooked back up with uh, Ross Braun again and probably helped behind the scenes a lot more than he helped on the track because when he came out of retirement and came back to Mercedes, um, he wasn't fantastic there. I mean, we did a whole episode on uh, Schumacher, so please go and listen to it. But I think he probably helped laid the foundations. Rosberg and Lewis together were fantastic, traded uh, a, a Rosberg, got himself a world title in there. And then we had Lewis and Bottas. Be interesting to see now. We've got George Russell added to the mix this year, but unknown. We don't know what he's going to do. So. Sab stats. Did I wait long enough? I was afraid to say anything at this point. Okay. I have to jump in. Um, I think this is accurate. This is what I'm going off the top of my head. Uh, you mentioned Nico Rosberg. The only father-son duo of Formula One world champions because KK... One in 1982, and you're stealing the Nico thunder was... for later, but yeah, <laughs> I am. What <laughs> I think you're right because there's there's only a few um father sons that have even actually even competed, right? So Verstappen's father, yeah, Joss, Joss, Verstappen, but he yeah. never won the world championship. Michael so, and I, Mick I, Schumacher, we've had the Schumacher family, Ralph. Rafe, how do you pronounce it? Um, and so I can't think of any a lot of no, other think... father sons. I think you I think you're right. And it was I think it was KK and Nico yeah. uh, who both won and Nico left after he won his. I mean it is I didn't appreciate that when I'd see all these Heineken 0, 0 ads uh, all over the place which for us would mean non-alcoholic beer. Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's, that's okay. <laughs> right. Um so right, let's jump into Red Bull. Now this one kind of made me feel old Brian I'm afraid because I'm like yeah Red Bull they're kind of a relatively new team and I kind of looked up when they started yeah 2005 <laughs> I mean they're pretty much new on the grid and then you're like oh man 2005 is not far away from being 20 years ago but um let's let's not dwell on that one let's just move straight yeah. over mm-hmm. um we're gonna see this pattern a few times as we move down this um they weren't really a new team. They didn't like open up a factory and start working out to build Formula One cars. They bought a previous entity. So you get a lot of these, as, as Paul mentioned in his time in uh, Formula One, I think he's never really left the company that he's in, but he's actually worked for like someone like four or five different constructors because these entities just keep getting purchased and moved around. So Jackie Stewart made uh, Stewart GP in 97, sold it to Ford in 99, who then rebranded it as Jaguar. At the end of 2004, Red Bull decided it wasn't enough to make fizzy drinks. Um, They needed to come along and buy Formula One cars because 
they can give, uh, well, Formula One cars already have wings and Red Bull gives you wings. So it was obviously a, a match <laughs> made in heaven. Um, they set the team up. They bought uh, David Coulthard, uh, the man with the world's biggest jaw. Um, I'm surprised it fits in a Formula One helmet. They brought uh, him I, along. It had to be specially made helmets. <laughs> it had to be. It was, uh, yeah, anyway. Um, and they did really well. They got more points in the first season than Jaguar had managed combined in the previous two. So um, they, they kind of started strong, not setting the world alight, but they, they started pretty strong. But 2005 saw a couple of switches. They switched engines to Ferrari. Um, uh, they've switched engines a few times. I think the most significant thing is they hired Adrian Newey, who is basically mm. the god of aer- aerodynamics and uh, being a technical director. The guy... Uh, I didn't go down this rabbit hole to kind of look into him because maybe we're looking into him at a future date, but the number of cars he's designed and the number of race wins and titles and uh, et cetera that are under cars that he's designed is compared to anybody else in the field is ridiculous. Um, I mean, I stopped drawing cars that looked like they were red and went fast when I was probably about like eight or nine. He just carried on going and uh, just made them go faster and faster. Great success. Um. And then in that year, they got their first podium in Monaco, which I don't want to visualize this one. And uh, Please I'm don't. Plant the seed in, well, I'm going to plant the seed inside everyone's head now. Oh, Christian boy. Horner had said that if they got on the podium, he would jump into the swimming pool naked. And uh, he is a man of his word. And he did that. Although some debate it because apparently he was wearing a red cape. So um, I'm not even going to go out there and watch. I'm not even going to go and watch it to find out whether I agree that he was naked or not, because I don't want to see oh, that. Spice boy. That don't do it, Spice Boy. <laughs> don't do it. And, and then they were pretty steady up until kind of 2009. They were there or thereabouts, um, kind of challenging, not really setting the world afire. Um, and then 2009, they took second in both titles. Drivers, uh, I think, was Seb, and uh, they finished second in the Constructors' title. 2010, they went and did both. Seb won the title, they won Constructors, and it was a feat they then repeated for the next three years straight. So I think Seb set the record. I think Seb might have got the record then of... Uh, no, Schumacher got the five between Alex. Sorry, there's something loose between Seb's leg. One more time. Just... There's something loose between my legs. He, he, I, he helped establish that team. I thought you were done. I'm sorry. He helped establish that team. You didn't think team. I was done. You were just trying to put me off. I knew, I knew that sound clip was coming at some point. I mean, he, like, I don't think he gets enough credit for really helping push Red Bull to the next level, personally. But, uh, yeah, I mean, amazing drivers, right? I mean, like, look at what they've had in their driver academy between them and their sister team is pretty strong at this point. And yeah, well, it's just a fascinating thing to watch. We'll, we'll hit the sister team thing later because yeah. I find that really bizarre. But um, if we just finish off Red Bull here, we'll say like drivers of note is Coulthard and his ridiculously big jaw. Um, Mark Webber, uh, Vettel, Danny Rick, and obviously Max. There's been other ones in there and you can debate whether I should have included other ones, Brian. But I think kind of when you think of people that help build them to where they are now, and obviously I know Checo's going to be on there for you because you love him. I do, very much. Okay, we, okay, we'll add him. Just for being a solid wingman for last year, okay? He, uh, honestly, he, he, he took a defensive strategy and pushed Max uh, you know, right up to the back of Lewis's tailpipe in Abu Dhabi. He, he did amazing stuff in qualifying for the team. And he's a hell of a driver. And he can manage his tires as good as anybody. I know it sounds boring to a lot of people, but when your tires are starting to burn up um, and you can cool them down and keep them running and other people have to pit, you can go a couple extra laps and either help yourself or the team. Man, Checo, I think, is, uh, is a great driver. Okay. Um, I think this is now the last one of my little uh, 
slot before I hand over to you, Brian, we're going to do Ferrari. And on this one, actually, I'm going to spend more time on the drivers because purely out of selfish reasons, I found that the most interesting bit. (laughs) Agreed. They're amazing. So Ferrari, been there right from the beginning, 1950, Enzo Ferrari. Just lucky he had a really cool surname or last name, as they say over here, Um, because if he'd been like Enzo Smith, I'm not sure he would have named the team after (laughs) himself. But um, iconic uh, Prancing Horse logo. They're the most, despite the fact they've really been in the wilderness since 2008 from like winning titles perspective, they're still McLaren. I'm sorry, Mercedes still haven't overtaken them. So it's 16 constructors titles, 15 drivers titles, uh, 237 race victories, 773 podiums. 230 pole positions and i didn't do the thing i didn't go and do the research to find out how many of those 230 schumacher got i think schumacher got nearly 100 somewhere in the 90s because lewis went past him like last year didn't he right yeah so if let's say for argument's sake schumacher got somewhere in the 90s that means one driver got almost almost half of all of ferrari's uh, pole positions ever which is crazy is the greatest driver ever though yeah it helps um, we mentioned in the, when we did the kind of the onboarding thing, you know, Mons is their home uh, Grand Prix and, and their passionate fan base are called the Tifosi. But here's where I kind of started going down the drivers and I was kind of thinking, well, there might not be much in here. And there's a lot of drivers I had never heard of. So I kind of did a little bit of digging around in there. So we had Ascari won the, uh, the first world championship for them um, and he was Italian. So that must have been like celebration on steroids because that must have been absolutely mental to have an Italian team with Italian driver win the world championship as well. well so we were talking about about drivers and I said, are you going to put Ascaria on the list? And you kind of looked at me funny and I didn't know of him until quite honestly, a car company named themselves Ascari and were on top gear years ago. And I'm like, who are they named after? And so I did a bunch of research, you know, 20 years ago and I realized I had not heard of Ascari and his success, but it's really cool. And when you think about it, the first Ferrari's first champion, an Italian guy who just was amazing. Maybe he should be in one of our, uh, our, our deep dive spotlights, or as we may call them, Vale's Tales. I don't know. <laughs> I, I am looking to try to get a little, you know, Sap Stats is amazing, and I'm going to get a t-shirt with, that says Sap Stats on it, and the only thing I can think of that rhymes is Vale's Tales, but it's not as cool, so I'm going to carry on working on it. Anyway, back to Ferrari drivers. Um, Fangio, everybody kind of knows the name, and his five times championships were all, all won in Ferrari, so, and it was a long time before anybody else would overtake that, but on the same list under Ferrari, we're going to hit that same person anyway. So we go down a bit further, Mike Hawthorne, never heard of the guy, but looked into it and he was a champion for Ferrari and he was Britain's first ever Formula One champion. Didn't know his name, but again, another first for Ferrari. Uh, Phil Hill, the American, he won the title with Ferrari as well. Um, John Surtees, the only man to win a championship in F1 and uh, motor- racing motorcycles. They say he's the only man with a world championship on four and two wheels. Wow. Uh, Nicky Lauda. Um, and he might be one that we uh, deep dive into, but he was superb at Ferrari. Then we get Jody Schechter, which is the only African to ever win a full one title. So the, the, the list of firsts just keep coming, coming as you go down uh, the list. Then I, the next one I've got on the list is uh, some guy, uh, Michael Schumacher. Um, so not only were they not content with having Fangio go and set the record for the five, then one of their own drivers uh, many, many years later comes out and, and, and breaks that. Um, then my own personal favorite, just because I always love people that buck the trend when it comes to how you're supposed to act uh, when you're famous, Kimmy. Just leave me alone, I know what you're That's Kimmy yelling into his team radio, just leave me alone, I know what I'm doing. Uh, he delivered the title and he delivered the last title. Um, they've not won it since, but a uh, guy was a legend. And the, and the last two I'll add on here, there's been many other drivers, but the two I'll just give a shout out to because they came so close to winning the titles. It was Alonso almost brought the title home and Massa came even 
closer mm. to so much so that his family celebrated the title. I still remember watching that on TV and it was heartbreaking for him. I remember the faces they made when they realized he wasn't going to be the, the world champion. And I, I felt bad uh, seeing that amazing, amazing drivers and amazing uh, constructor for so long. Uh, another longer tenured constructor is McLaren founded by Bruce McLaren. I did not know this. He was from New Zealand. Um, McLaren liked the road cars that you may be familiar with. Uh, and now they use Mercedes engines. So I just highlight that. And McLaren and Mercedes have had a long history on and off track. Uh, one of my favorite cars, a road car of all time is a McLaren Mercedes. Or I guess technically it's called the Mercedes McLaren SLR. Uh, and for those who may be Mercedes nerds, the engine title is the M155. Uh, it was a tremendous V8 power plant. Uh, supercharged. I have an M156, which is the follow-on to it, which is the naturally aspirated version. Uh, so I'm partial to that. Um, anyway, he founded Bruce McLaren Racing in 63. They ran their first F1 race in 1966 at Monaco, and they've been present ever since. Straight through, same team name. Amazing. They're the second oldest active team after Ferrari, second most successful Formula One team after Ferrari, having won 183 races, 12 driver's championships and eight constructor's championships. And Bruce McLaren was a racer. He actually passed away in a testing accident in 1970. And you may be familiar with the Aero McLaren IndyCar team here in the U.S. Uh, and I've mentioned Pato Award a couple of times, Felix Rosenquist, and a third driver on the team is Juan Pablo Montoya. I, I didn't know Juan Pablo Montoya was still driving. I'm sorry, Juan Pablo. He ran an F1 from 2001 to 2006 for Williams and McLaren. Uh, and then he drove a NASCAR for a while and other sports. This guy is like a Jim Clark. He can drive anything and drive it well. But they have McLaren, kind of like you did with Ferrari. I want to focus on the drivers. Some of the most amazing drivers of all time. So in 1968, Bruce took uh, Bruce McLaren took a historic victory driving his own car at the Belgian Grand Prix. And in doing so, he became only the second team owner after Jack Brabham in 66 to win a Grand Prix in their own car. And that's really when McLaren kicked off. And I'm going to list just a few. I mean, I'm, I was selective in this list. Emerson Fittipaldi, James Hunt, Nicky Lauda, Alan Prost, Arton Senna, Mika Hakkinen, Lewis Hamilton, Jensen Button, David Coulthard, Kimi Raikkonen. Holy crap. I mean, like that's a who's who. It's, it's like a Mount Rushmore, but you got to go to two more mountain chains of all the drivers. And you need a really McLaren. wide mountain to get Coulthard's jaw. <laughs> I, I didn't want to say it before, but actually I would heard a story. They'd implanted that jaw in. It was actually part of the helmet. It wasn't his, <laughs> his bone. Um, I love Coulthard. I'm just kidding. Of course, he's an amazing driver. And then, you know, just to me, it's just an amazing history of McLaren, like Ferrari, the names that have passed through, just outstanding. Yeah, and then we'll hit one more, which is... Um... It's a bit of a shame where they are now, but it's it's Williams, um, uh, launched in 1977 by Frank Williams. Very successful, nine constructors championships, seven drivers championships, but the last one was Jacques Villeneuve back in 97, which was also the last time they won the constructors. Um, they really dominated, they had a lot of engine partners. They kind of, they really dominated the late 80s, early 90s when they had the Renault engine in there. They won five of their nine titles with Renault. And, and since then, it's just been a bit sad that they've just kind of, they haven't had like a steep decline when I was looking at where they've been finishing in the constructors. They've just kind of 
steadily declined until now they kind of find themselves almost like battling over who's not going to be last in the constructors. They had a mini revival when Massa and Bottas kind of came together. That's when really Bottas really started kind of lighting up F1, him and Massa together in 2014 and 2015. They got back to back third positions in uh, the constructors. And I thought, oh, Williams are back, but kind of false dawn and they've kind of dropped back down uh, the list. These guys as well. I mean, They've got, uh, I mean, I'm just going to list them rather than read out each of the, um, any kind of background on each of them because it's so long. But when you go down who's been there in uh, uh, Williams, you've got an Australian, Alan Jones was the first champion for them in in 1980. Uh, Mario Andretti made a brief cameo in 82. Uh, Keke or Kiki, however you say it, Rosberg, double world champion and apparently someone's dad and maybe the only uh, father-son combo to win it. We're pretty sure. We're pretty pretty sure sure somebody stole my thunder. The, sh- the short version of the stats on that one, because we're not. <laughs> Bloop, maybe. <laughs> uh, Nigel Mansell and his magnificent moustache. Uh, Nelson Piquet, Ricardo Patrese, Damon Hill, Alan Prost, and Senna. Coulthard and his massive jaw. Uh, Jacques Villeneuve, Ralph Schumacher, Jensen Button, Juan Pablo Montoya, Nico Rosberg, Massa and Bottas. I mean, they've had. Amazing. But the, the only thing there and maybe someone this year is going to help turn that around but really the massive Bottas years when I was earlier saying that 2005 um, a long time ago now 2014 2015 is seven years ago now so they've been they really need a driver to kind of uh, thrust them back up the up the uh, constructors again because they're a good uh, there's a phrase in sport the you know just because you're a big name you don't deserve to have to be up there all the time you have to fight for your right to stay there but the kind of sentimental side of me I want Williams to get back up towards the top again because for my childhood, they were the team. Uh, it's just a bit sad where they kind of are right now. It's going to sound silly, but as we're talking about Williams and I'm thinking about the current drivers, I, I don't know if it's possible that they're too nicer. And again, <laughs> we don't know them. I mean, this is from the outside personas, but two nicer drivers, Nikki Latifi, who seems like the kindest, nicest, uh, great driver, his first car, BMW M3 for any of those trivia. Um, amazing guy. And then Alex Albon back into Formula One proper uh, with the lead driver uh, seat with Nicky Latifi at Williams. And Albono, as he's known, seems to be a great dude. And uh, I will be cheering for them just because they seem like a couple of uh, sweethearts. I hope they dominate, um, at least get out of the last get out of the last spot, please. Um, so Alfa Romeo next. Alfa Romeo, like Ferrari, an original team in 1950. And they'd been motor racing prior to the founding of Formula One in 1950. And they won the first two drivers' championships in 50 and 51. And Juan Manuel Fangio won in 51. And now I'm wondering, as all the research comes together and as we say it, I'm going to say something that may be dumb. But have we mentioned Fangio winning with Mercedes, Ferrari, and Alfa Romeo? Did he win with three constructors, world championships? Ooh, I'm not sure. I think I might have messed up and said that he won them all with Ferrari earlier on in my little piece. So we, might we may have, have to, to do the drawing board here. We, we have a, so uh, we will take that away as homework here on the dirty side <laughs> and get back to you all in the next podcast. So something to tune in for to find out, are we right or are we oh, wrong? Oh, I see. We're going to have a new segment called Rob Was Wrong. No, 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 we. It's a new segment <laughs> called Tune In Next Time. <laughs> Um, But what was interesting with Alfa is Alfa Romeo in 52, after their first two drivers championships, um, they were having increased competition from a former employee, none other than Enzo Ferrari. And Alfa Romeo was a state-owned company. And Italy decided not to fund the team anymore because it was becoming too expensive. And so they, they basically just left the sport. And then in 1979, Alfa Romeo came back until 1985 when they left again 
really not a ton of information there in 83. They finished sixth. That was their best year of those years between 79 and 85. They did have Mario Andretti, Andrea De Cesaris. And at this time, they also had Ricardo Patrese and Eddie Cheever, which are pretty great drivers. And I actually have a, a kind of quick sap stat on Eddie Cheever. Eddie Cheever, who drove for Alfa Romeo those years, had 132 starts in Formula One, more than any other American in Formula One. And he was born in Phoenix. So big ups to Eddie. Uh, along the way, uh, as Alfa Romeo left, Sauber started racing in 1993. Uh, a strong partnership with Mercedes in the beginning. That lasted a couple of years. And then in 06, a portion of the team was sold to BMW. I was most familiar with them as BMW Sauber. That was the team I sort of attributed them to. That lasted four years. And then in 2010, the guy who started it all, Peter Sauber, bought the team back from BMW and then in 2019, and here's why I mentioned them with Alfa Romeo, Alfa Romeo entered into a sponsorship or partnership with Sauber to form the Alfa Romeo racing team. So it's really a joint sort of Alfa Romeo-Sauber deal with Sauber guts, but it's not an Alfa Romeo engine. It's a Ferrari engine. Um, so in addition to the drivers I mentioned before, uh, you know, Valtteri Bottas, uh, now Kimi Raikkonen, uh, who knows what he's doing, as we talked about, and Antonio, Antonio Giovinazzi, who always watches for hairpins. And so, you know, it's just fun to watch. Uh, but in the Sauber lineage in particular, so I talked about Alfa Romeo proper, in the Sauber pieces, Jacques Villeneuve, Heinz Harold Frenzen, Johnny Herbert, Jean Alesi, Nick Heidfeld, Kimi Raikkonen, from the Sauber days, as well as the Alfa Romeo days. So I didn't realize he'd closed, kind of going back to where he started in 2001. Felipe Massa, Robert Kubica, Sebastian Vettel, Sergio Perez, and yes, Checo makes my list of any team he's driven for, Rob. Charles Leclerc, and then uh, Nico Hulkenberg. You can never say Nico Hulkenberg's name without the Daniel Ricciardo uh, audio of him yelling Nico Hulkenberg behind it. <laughs> that's that's very true. I think it's actually a legal requirement. Um, okay, moving on to Alpine, which is a bizarre one because um, it's another one of these. The entity has changed hands, so I, I won't do full history on this because because it was bought and it was a, an existing entity. Um, I don't really think it counts as Alpine, but it was essentially 1981 Tolman through various guises, including Benetton, but Renault, um, and that's where the Alpine name comes from because the Alpine is the sports car brand of uh, the Renault Corporation. So uh, Renault come in in 2000, they bought the whole entity and renamed it, and they were Renault F1 in uh, 2002. Lotus came on board, and I think whether it's they had a controlling share or what have you, it, they essentially became uh, Lotus, for 2012 to 2015 but it was still really Renault and then Renault wrestled it back anyway in 2016 um and then they rebranded in 2021 to Alpine so it's 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 they've either been around since 2000 2016 or 2021 depending on what you decide is them being the entity that owned the team and being the constructor but um I'm going to stick with as pure Alpine with Renault coming back in, taking control and being an Alpine team. They've really, really been around for a couple of years. And therefore the only two drivers of note are the ones they actually have right now, which is Alonso and Ocon. Fine. That's fine. We're going to hop over to Haas. And again, we are the leading Formula One podcast here in the great United States of America. And we're, we're going to take over the world. Um, but Gene Haas of NASCAR ownership, the Stuart Haas team, started Haas in 2016. He's unrelated to Carl Haas, who had a team earlier in Formula One. Unrelated, not talking about it. But they're based here in the U.S., Kannapolis, North Kakalaki, North Carolina. 
And so it is fun to watch Haas. I really would love them to have the 30 plus points that Rob predicted in earlier episodes. Um, some notes, Roman Grosjean, he started with the team in 2016 and his last year was in 2020. Um, and, you know, you've got to talk a little bit about the crash. Um, probably one of the most jarring sights in the last 10 years or so, Formula One. Uh, so happy he walked away alive. And he now refers to himself as the Phoenix rising from those flames. Um, so happy he's fine. Uh, and my favorite Roman moment, uh, positive Roman moment, was when he crashed in Baku under the safety car while he's warming up his tires, just weaving along all by himself, no one around him. I think Ericsson hit us. I think Ericsson hit us. Ericsson wasn't anywhere near you, buddy. <laughs> and so he, he was so embarrassed. He thought someone had hit him. And he said, I think Ericsson hit us. That's my favorite team audio it, ever. Yeah, it's the equivalent of one of your kids saying, like, it wasn't me with the kind of the broken thing on the floor and there's just right. no one else in the house. And you're like, mm. <laughs> well, who was it? I think Ericsson hit us. Um, along many of those years, the driver alongside Roman was Kevin Magnuson. Kevin Magnussen did not get along with Nico Hulkenberg, and they had a very famous tiff. Yeah. Once again, most unsportive driver of the Suck my So Magnussen is famous for aggressive driving. And uh, if you ever watch any of the Formula One videos, people will do the one word association and, and Magnussen will say aggressive or dangerous. Um, I enjoyed watching him. I didn't have to race him. Drivers now, Mick Schumacher, son of Michael, Nikita Mazepin, son of a Russian billionaire. Um, and both of them bring funding to the team. Haas has needed money in years past. So sponsorship has been important. Developing the 2021 card wasn't a thing. They focused all on 2022. Very excited to see what was going to happen. My last note um, is kind of a couple things that are known for, and, and some of these are good, some of these are bad. In Australia 2018, probably towards the pinnacle of Haas's time in F1, uh, they had the drivers, Grosjean and Magnussen, running fourth and fifth into the race. It would have been by far their best finish ever. Both cars pitted and both cars went out without tires affixed to the car. Like they were on the car, but they weren't actually tightened on and the wheels came off and they had to they retire. Horrible mistake for a team to do, especially when they're running so great. 2019, in, if you watch Drive to Survive, they had a little sponsorship debacle with Rich Energy. Rich Energy CEO William Story is tweeting again as of yesterday that he's going to get back into Formula One. I don't know any team that would be happy to put him on the car, but I guess we'll find out. And Gunter Steiner, the print team principal, is famous for swearing more than I do. And uh, he is great if you watch Netflix Drive to Survive. So, Rob, anything on Haas before I hit Aston Martin? No, uh, I'm just going to stand by that 30-point prediction, though, and I guess we'll, uh, we'll find out how that goes as the season evolves. Uh, We're betting a night, of, a night of drinking. Uh, yes. Not just a beer, but whatever beers are required. If they go over 30, I'm buying. If they go under 30, you're buying. And we will get together and make that happen. It's on. Aston Martin. This one's a bit intense. I'm going to try to pick up the pace because this could take a week. So they launched in 1959 in Formula One. They had no points in 59. They had no points in 1960 either. They packed it up and left F1. Two years, no points. Goodbye. Then in 1991, and this is kind of going to be reminiscent of a story I told earlier, uh, a different team launched. Eddie Jordan launched the Jordan F1 team. It wouldn't be until much later that, as you know him as an annoying Top Gear presenter, but back to the team. In 99, they finished third in the Constructors' Championship. So things were going pretty good for Jordan. However, it all kind of went downhill after that. Um, Benson and Hedges' sponsorship was replaced for non-tobacco countries by what? 
the buzzing hornets what is this buzzing, buzzing hornets i i slotted this one in your notes here just to see if you'd catch this one but yeah their bright yellow car which was a thing of beauty had those bees the horn the hornets on it the, and um where they weren't allowed to advertise cigarettes. So Benson and Hedges is a big cigarette brand. Uh, right. I, I guess it's a UK brand, not sure. Um, but where you weren't allowed to um, do that, they kept the B and H logo on there, but where <laughs> it said Benson and Hedges, and I think the, the, like, the B and the H were big, and then the Ensign and Edges were small font. It now said Buzzin Hornets instead. So you almost advertise cigarettes by not advertising it because the logo was blatantly the Benson and Hedges logo, but it now just said Buzzin Hornets and there were a couple of Hornets on the uh, livery as well. It was an awesome looking car. I, I didn't know that. That's amazing. Actually, an additional note is for people who watch F1 at the podiums in predominantly Muslim countries, there's no alcohol. So it's not champagne they're spraying up there. It's rose water, carbonated rose water. So just a little note of interest there as well. So back to, back to Jordan. They were sold in 05 became Midland F1 racing. That didn't work out. In 06, they were sold to Spiker, the auto manufacturer. Um, and they were in 2007, they were Spiker F1. Again, no success. And here's where it gets kind of nuts. They, in the, as if that isn't enough, they were sold to VJ Malia, an India, Indian businessman. And they were based in Silverstone from all the sales. They were renamed Force India for the 2008 season. And they actually started having some success. And they were in there for 10 years, 10 and a half years. They pole positions at the Belgian Grand Prix in 09, six podiums, fourth in the world championship in 16 and 17. But in 2018, they were put into bankruptcy or as it's called over there, administration. And the team was sort of forced to sell and it was sold to Racing Point UK, a consortium led by Lance Stroll's father, Canadian billionaire, Lawrence Stroll. And so somehow F1 said the entry was not transferable. I don't know if the administration had something to do with it or the way they did it, but officially the team was renamed Racing Point Force India and it became uh, officially Racing Point in 2019. And my favorite part is 2019 and then in 2020, they had a pink livery from their BWT uh, Best Water Treatment Sponsorship and they had Mercedes engines, but they started copying the Mercedes so much that they were nicknamed the unofficially nicknamed the pink Mercedes in 2020, they were actually brought in front of the stewards for their brakes that they used from the 2019 Mercedes looking so similar. And I called them tracing point because I'm hilarious. Um, so then Lawrence Stroll, he bought later bought a 16.7% stake in the full Aston Martin road car company, and then rebranded racing point to Aston Martin F1 for last year's 2021 um, it is worth noting because this confused me at one point. Um, Aston Martin was actually on a couple Red Bull cars over the years. They were it was just a sponsorship, just giving some money. They weren't a constructor, nothing more than uh, put our brand on your car. And the current team principal of Aston Martin is Rob Mike Crack. <laughs> <laughs> so. Famous drivers uh, quickly here. The inaugural 1959 team had one driver. I think everyone has heard of. I didn't know he actually drove a full season in F1. Carol Shelby of the Shelby Cobra, the Shelby Mustangs of Ford versus Ferrari fame. Carol Shelby, holy cow, Aston Martin's launch 1959. Of course, then they had the great Sergio Perez. Um, as I said, I mentioned him for all the teams that I do. Lance Stroll now, Sebastian Vettel, former champion, Nico Ulgenberg. Esteban Ocon, Paul DeResta, who you'll see on TV, ran here. And then the Jordan list is tremendous. I'm going to do it fast because I think this might be one of the sneakier teams with the best list of drivers ever. 
Rubens Barrichello, Eddie Irvine, Eddie Irvine, Damon Hill, Martin Brundle, Nick Heidfeld, Heinz Harold Frensen, Michael Schumacher, Jean Alesi, Ralph Schumacher, Jarno Trulli, Andrea De Cesaris, and Giancarlo Fisichella. What? Yeah, but Aston Martin can't claim those. I'm sorry. I know it's Jordan, but Jordan became Aston Martin eventually. If you follow the lineage, sort of. Yeah, yeah, but you're yeah, right. Kind of. Right. Kind of. I'll give you that one. Um, okay, then we're into the the last one, which is Alpha Tower, which I just find. I like the fact there's 10 constructors. I'm hoping they've made an announcement, which I'll come to shortly, which I hope means it's true 10 constructors because they've been around since 2006. They were originally under the name Toro Rosso, which is the Italian for Red Bull, because surprise, surprise, they were the junior team to Red Bull. They were just a feeder team for them. Um, they've rebranded in 2020 to be Alpha Tauri to help promote Red Bull's fashion brand because that sounds much more macho. Um, <laughs> but what they've also done is they've claimed now that they're not a junior team, they're a sister team whatever that means. Now, if that sister moniker means that um, they're going to be allowed to compete a bit more and not just give up all their best drivers straight to Red Bull because they've just been a, a kind of a, an academy's team, really. So I'm hoping that works out like that because I'd like to see 10 proper constructors on the grid. And if you can't, then you almost think they shouldn't be allowed to have a second one and you should uh, have another constructor come in. But we'll just hit their drivers of no, and mainly it's the ones that got promoted to the Red Bull team. But we'll start with the first one. Uh, because it's an American driver, and I just wish I just wish he'd won more or any, because he was called Scott Speed, which has to be the best name for a racer ever, but only if you win. Because if you're called Scott Speed and you don't win anything, <laughs> I actually think it could be a little better. What if it was Max Max Speed? Max Speed. <laughs> That's the, that might be my new name, my surname. I check in every hotel. Yes, uh, room Speed. for Max Speed, please. <laughs> Um, Vettel was uh, there for a season before his obvious talent got him promoted. Danny Rick did two seasons there before following Vettel. A certain little-known driver called Max Verstappen spent uh, a couple of years before moving over as well. So the one I kind of feel sorry for is that um, Gasly's there now and everyone rates him as a good driver. But if it's no longer the production chain where with a promotion to Red Bull at the end of it, if this changing from uh, junior to sister means that that flight path isn't there anymore, then Gasly now maybe doesn't have that ahead of him and he's going to have to try to make the best of whatever car they give him. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But... Pierre is, uh, I think, a tremendous driver. I and do as well, yeah. I don't know if he wasn't ready for the pressure of Red Bull. Everyone says the car is set up for Max. And being so much in the shadow or what, I don't know. It just didn't work. But his return to, to Alpha Tauri uh, since his, his try at Red Bull, he's been lights out. I mean, I know he's not in the, in the top two cars at Mercedes or Red Bull or even Ferrari um, or even McLaren, but he has made Alpha Tauri relevant and uh, I enjoy watching him. So good luck to him this year. Yeah, and that concludes our uh, roundup of uh, all the constructors that are on the grid. So thank you very much for sending in those questions. If there's anything else you'd like us to to hit, um, if, if you're new to new to the F1 sport, then we've, as Brian already mentioned, we've got our uh, Dirty Side Guide to F1 is over on YouTube, broken up into convenient bite-sized pieces for your pleasure. Um, other than that, I think we're going to be looking at sort of the sliding doors world of uh, Formula 1 next week. Isn't that right, Brian? Yeah, a little bit of what if coming next week, not just in real life, the sliding doors aspect, but also in reality, uh, goofing around. So maybe leaving reality into the world of what if your favorite Formula One driver had to be promoted by a fast food brand? Who would they choose? I mean, these are the types of things we will hit next week in, in the world of fantasy uh, Formula One. And I would just say thanks to everyone for submitting the questions. We really appreciate it. 
we look forward to next week. I hope everyone we're taping this on a Sunday enjoys the Super Bowl and uh, be well, be safe, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Bye. Do you think we should put some kind of after credit pieces in like they do in the Marvel films? Because it seems to go down pretty well for them. Yeah, good question. We should figure that out. Yeah, maybe next time.